0: Welcome to the TriStar Church Podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource now let 's dive in
1: So here at TriStar for the last couple of weeks, we have been walking through the book of Genesis uh, in the story of Abraham and Sarah. So Abraham is the father of Israel. He is the one that has started uh, the lineage of the nation of Israel and the people of God all the way in uh, Genesis 13 uh, and we see this story of faithfulness of God walking walking in the midst of Abraham and Sarah. God makes several promises to this couple. He promises a new homeland in the land of Canaan. He promises to make them a great nation, promises to give them offspring that would outnumber the stars and that he will make him the father of nations. And so over the last couple weeks, we've seen Abraham and Sarah cling to the promise of God, turn their face from the promise of God, try to do things in their own way, try to do things that make sense to themselves. Most of the time it comes at disobedience to God's word, but we see God's faithfulness continually in the lives of Abraham and Sarah, regardless of the situation that they bring themselves into. And so this morning we find ourselves in Genesis 23. We see the closing years of this power couple, of this patriarch and matriarch of Israel. Genesis 1 through two says this, Sarah lived 127 years and these were the years of her life. And Sarah died at Hebron in the land of Canaan and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. So we find ourselves at the closing chapter of Sarah's life and we see Abraham rise to go and weep and mourn over her death. Sarah passes 37 years after the birth of Isaac, their only son, the one that is gonna continue the lineage and make a great nation of Israel. But the purpose of this chapter is not to proclaim that Sarah's death was magnificent outside of God's plan. The purpose of this chapter is to show us that grief can fall in line and in parallel to what God is doing in our lives. This is the first instance in in all of the Bible where we see a husband grieve for his wife and her death. We see Abraham come to mourn the loss of a companion of his spouse. It almost seems like these two verses in this chapter are almost overlooked. It's almost like something in brief, but there's a very specific reason that we have this included in Genesis. And that is this, that the death of Sarah gives us a glimpse of grief and hope at the same time. Because think about it, 127 years, we can estimate that Abraham and Sarah were probably together for 80, 90, 100 years of that timeline. And after 100 years together, we have to watch Abraham mourn the loss of his spouse, of his companion. We have to think that it was probably sudden because Abraham wasn't there. It says that Abraham actually had to come to the place that Abraham was probably somewhere off taking care of the flock of sheep he had or taking care of business matters. And Sarah passed suddenly for him to come and give us a great picture of grief. And what we learn from this passage is that grief is a part of our life. I mean, I'm I'm no scientist, but 10 out of 10 people die. And so we have to understand that grief and death is a part of life, but God has made it to where we do not have to grieve alone. God has made it to where we do not have to mourn alone and that sorrow is not sinful. Crazy to think that even in the beginning chapters of the Bible that God is already creating a way for us to feel the deepest, darkest emotions of our humanity with him right beside of us. So we have to ask the question, why why do we grieve? Why would this infinitely good God allow death to happen and grief to be a part of life? And it's because we live in a sinful and fallen world. Genesis 2, 16 through 17 says this, and the Lord God commanded the man. This is Adam saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. And so grief is a part of life because of our sinful nature, because of what Adam and Eve did in Genesis 3 in the fall of man. And what I hope we get this morning is that Genesis 3 is not this isolated uh, event Uh, But instead, Genesis 3 connects itself all the way to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus that also continues all the way to Revelation 21 where Jesus promises to demolish and destroy all sorrow, every tear you cry, all grief. And so what we'll do this morning is through Genesis 3 and Genesis 23, we'll see that we have this future hope of glory that will bring us to grieve close with God, that we would grieve with God's presence around us and that we would grieve with hope. Billy Graham says this, sometimes our way lies in the sunlight and other times it lies in the path of sorrow. Yet even sorrows turn to blessings when they make us less attached to the world and more attached to God. Then more than ever, we discover that Jesus truly is our friend. What the enemy meant for evil, God is turning for good and God is turning for his purpose. And so grief and sorrow, we can see come from sin, come from evil, come from this deception in Genesis three, but God steps alongside of us in our brokenness and shows us a better picture out. Abraham in, the, in this chapter shows us how to grieve with hope. Paul writes on this in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 saying, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul right here is saying that grief happens with hope in a Christian's life because we have this great brotherhood and sisterhood of believers alongside of us, because we have this great God who is a comforter and the Prince of Peace, because we have Jesus who is Emmanuel, God with us that has met us where we are here on earth to pay the price for our sins. He's saying that God has done all of the work for you that when these realities of life come, all you have to do is trust in him. All you have to do is lean into him. All you have to do is put your faith in him. Christian grieving is real and right, but it is a journey and not a destination. We cannot be so nearsighted to think that God has left the room in the midst of our pain and suffering, but instead we have to put our faith in the God of all promise, and say that he is here in our midst and he is doing something, turning evil to good, turning sorrow to joy. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7 says this, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do not let the fact that you are walking through a season of real pain and real sorrow cause you to doubt the goodness and the faithfulness of God. It would have been so easy for Abraham in this moment to lose his wife suddenly without expectation to turn himself against God who has already come through on promises to give him an offspring, to make the miraculous happen that he would have a son into his late 90s. It would be so easy for Abraham to say, you may have come through on this one promise, but this is way too much for me. What about every other promise that you've given me? We learn here that grief can lead to hope honor and faithfulness or despair, brokenness and selfishness. Like I said, grief is a journey and not a destination. It is not our final resting place. It is not the place where our emotions will finally come to, but instead it is a journey that the Lord takes us on right by our side. And so we learn here what Abraham has done with this grief and sorrow Genesis 23, three through nine says this, and Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham and said, hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest choiciest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, if you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me, Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of, I'm gonna be honest, I can't read that, which he owns, it is at the end of his field for the full price, let, me get, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. <clears throat> And so we see the actions following the grief of Abraham is that he is trying to take care of business. He's trying to find a burial spot for his wife. And there's a couple of really important things to know about this passage is that the land that he is trying to buy as a burial plot is not his native homeland. It is actually the land that God has promised to him, the land of Canaan. That he is trying to find a place to bury his wife and where he will lay with her once his life comes to a close. And it's very important to realize that because Abraham is still holding on to the hope of God saying that I will give you the promised land. I will give you this land of Canaan. That Abraham is saying I am no longer. Uh, 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 I'm no longer with this homeland that I knew for my entire life. I'm no longer with all of the things that I'm used to and the things that I grew up in, but instead I'm planting my seed in this land that God has promised me. And so they offer him the land. They said, you can just take it. You are this great prince of God, just take the land. But Abraham knows that in this culture and in the way that they do business at this time, that if he was just given the land, the landowners could come at any time in the future and just take it back. If it was a gift given, it can be a gift taken. That if he doesn't pay for this land, if he doesn't offer something up for this land, he doesn't truly own it. But he's holding fast to the promise of God that it is a land that God will give his offspring and his lineage. And so we see him going back and forth with the people that own the land and saying, hey, I'm willing to pay full price for it. I'm willing to, put, to, to plant the seed of the, my lineage, to plant the seed of my family, to plant the seed of Israel here in the land of Canaan, even if it's gonna cost me something. The Lord may have promised it to me, but I'm still willing to pay the price right here and right now that it has not come to fruition. Genesis 23, 10 through 20 says this, Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham. He said, no, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. I'm the site of the sons of my people. I just give it to you, bury your dead. And Abraham bowed down before the people of the land and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people, but if you will hear me, I give the price of the field, accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered, my Lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver, what is that between you and me? It's still a great price, but he's trying to barter this great gift and say, what is is this price between us? Abraham listened and he weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver according to the weights current among the merchants. So in the field, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave. And the field and the cave that is in it, that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burial place. Understand that Abraham does not seek pity in the midst of his sorrow because he is faithful to God. He does not seek pity and gifts from others because he is already faithful to the promises of God. If he would have given into his emotions and given into the the situation at hand and just said, thank you for the gift. I'm so, so glad that you've given it to me. The land could have been taken back before he passed away and he would not be able to be buried with his wife. He would have no claim to ownership outside of this gift that was given to him. But instead he trusted this promise that was yet to be fulfilled in his lifetime. Will you trust God even if you cannot see the fulfillment on this side of heaven? Will you trust God in the promises that he has given you even if you don't fully see it come. We have to ask ourselves, is this God of the promise good because his promises come fulfilled in our timeline or is this God of the promise good because he is faithful and steadfast and things happen on his timeline, that he is the very essence of holiness and righteousness and that in his timing, all things come to the betterment of us All things come to the betterment of his plan even when we don't see it happen. Like I said earlier, there's this tie in this uh, passage of Genesis 23. The death of Sarah goes back to Genesis 2 and 3 where Adam and Eve ate ate the fruit of the tree of good and evil causing death upon all of us. And we get to see firsthand grief happen but it also connects us to this hope of a promise fulfilled that this lineage, this great nation that God had promised Abraham would come all the way to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and a king would come from the lineage of Abraham and he would crucify and resurrect, fulfilling the promises of God to redeem us. We've seen this interwoven story of redemption throughout the book of Genesis since the fall of man God has started and worked for redeeming those that he created. But what, what do we do in modern day with grief? I don't know about you guys, but God has not uh, come to me via an angel and promised me a great land uh, over in West Knoxville that I'm gonna come into ownership just magically and he has not promised me a great lineage or a great nation um, and I'm very grateful for that. I have one kid and I don't need that many more. Um, God has not promised me that he would fulfill some uh, imaginary dream of mine. So what do I cling to? What, what do I as a Christian in the modern day cling to? I cling to this promise of Jesus in Revelation 21, three. It says that Jesus came in a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there, shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's what I hope in. That is the future hope of glory that we have to recapture in the church today, that we not only have this great foundational truth that there is King Jesus who has paid the price for our sins, who has bridged the gap between ourselves and God, that the veil was torn from top to bottom and God is no longer in the holy of holies, but instead he is among us in everyday life I cling to that and I cling to this future hope that he said he's coming again, a God that has never failed. Jesus who has never been a liar, who has never been someone who would just make things up has promised me that all of the pain and suffering and grief and death and sorrow that is the reality of this sinful world will pass away when he comes again. Genesis three was the enemy's way to make us feel hopeless and every other scripture is God's way to make us feel hopeful. And the beauty of it all is that God does not just make these promises and put them on the table for us to reference, but instead he is with us every situation. When I come to Father God with grief and sorrow, he does not say, hey, just go to that verse and know that it's gonna be okay eventually. He is with me and he comforts me. He brings me peace That is the beauty of the God that we serve, that there is no other religion that has a God that comes and says, I will be with you in the midst of your pain and suffering. I will be with you in the midst of what I've called you to do. I will be with you in the hard times, in the good times. And that I'm turning everything for the glory of my will to be done. And that is redemption for those that I have created. And so as we look at grief and hope, I wanna leave you with three things this morning. Number one, allow yourself to feel the full depth of grief. There's no time limit on Abraham's weeping for his bride. There's no time limit on Jesus weeping for his friend Lazarus. There's no time limit, there's no wrong way of feeling sorrow for the death of things in our life. We have a God who has created us with these emotions so that we would not ignore them, so that we would not throw them away idly, but that we would experience them in their fullness with him as someone like myself who is prone to depression, who is prone to suicidal ideations, who is prone to darkness, who, who their mind just has something that's misfiring, I can tell you my personal story, just my testimony that God meets me in the de- deepest, darkest depths of my heart and spirit. That God is there in the midst of every dark thought, he is there in the midst of every sorrow that I either feel or make up for myself. That he does not shy away and he is not afraid of the full breadth of my emotional scales. Psalm 119.71 says this, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Psalm 34.18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Allow yourself to feel the full depth of grief. It is a journey that the Lord is beside you on. Do not wish it away. Instead, wish to be closer with the Lord. Take the journey with him and see how he turns your pain into joy. The second thing this morning is I want you to allow yourself to hope. There is not one promise from God in the Old Testament or the New that has not come to fulfillment or will not come to fulfillment. I say that with full conviction. That what God has promised will come. Like I said, God never promised me a great farmland in West Knoxville. He never promised me all of these things, but here's what Scripture says he has promised me. Hebrews 10.23 promises that God is going to be faithful. Isaiah 54, 10 promises that God is kind and compassionate. Ephesians 2:10 promises that God has a purpose for you. Romans 8:38 through 39 promises that God loves you. Psalm 16:11 promises that God's presence brings joy. Romans 15:13 promises that God will fill you with hope when he you ask for it. Isaiah 41:10 promises that God will strengthen you and help you. These are the promises that we can hold fast to every single day in our life. We may not be waiting for this Financial breakthrough, we may not be waiting for this promise of a son or a daughter, but we are clinging to these promises of God is who he says he is and that he cares for you and I deeply. The last thing, let the darkness grow your love for the light. Not one single ounce of suffering is meaningless because God has ordained that he will be with you and he will grow you through it. He has promised that what the enemy has meant for evil, he will turn it for the betterment of our good. There's not one single ounce of our grief that is wasted. On the journey, we can choose to let our grief move into hope that it can move into honor and faithfulness or we can choose to sit in that grief to not let the great comforter in and lead us to despair and brokenness and it can lead us to selfishness. Light Cannot exist without the darkness, and the darkness cannot exist without the light. It is the world that we live in. And although this isn't a fun sermon to preach, it is something that I feel heavy on my heart day in and day out. Every single one of us in this room have suffered through grief, have felt the weight of sorrow. we get to choose whether we take the journey with the Lord or we allow it to be the destination that we sit in. The death of Sarah was not easy on Abraham. He did not turn into a great businessman as soon as the lights went off After verse three, whenever he is done weeping and mourning for Sarah, it doesn't mean that he does not still feel the void that she has left in his life. But instead, he leans into God and his promises. It's so easy for me to either try to just throw grief put it on the the hook behind the door and hope that no one sees it. Or it's easy for me to just sit in the pile uh, of sadness and sorrow that it leaves. But Jesus comes and he reaches down and he grabs us by the hand and leads us to feel the weight, the weight of sorrow that sin places on our life and the hope of Jesus that brings us into faithfulness in him. And so this morning, As we close, I'm just going to leave some time for prayer. Some time that we can pray for the grief and sorrow that we encounter, that we can pray for brothers and sisters that are going through hard times and time for us to encourage each other through prayer and faithfulness to God. So I'll start and there'll be a moment of silence. I promise everyone's going to be okay we're all gonna still live through a moment of silence, but we're gonna pray, whether it be silently or out loud, I want us to just pray together and I will close us out. So Lord, I pray right now that you would meet us in this room, that you would meet us where we're at. That we realize the reality of grief and sorrow exists because of a sinful, broken world that grief and sorrow are, are realized in the midst of our brokenness and selfishness. And that we would cling to the hope that you give us in your promises. So Lord, as we pray together, would you meet us here in this room? Would you comfort the brokenhearted? Would you give motivation to those that are strong in spirit to pray over others?
0: And would we come to you in these moments? Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarknox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website or you can text the word give to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers, equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work and play. Grace and peace.